Many years ago, a Hindu holy man by the name of Rao, he was a mystic, he announced that he was going to walk on water. It attracted a great deal of attention. So the day finally came and a great crowd gathered around a pool in Bombay, India. The holy man Rao carefully prepared himself in meditation for this great miracle. He stepped up to the water's edge. The crowd hushed. He looked up to heaven and he stepped out on the water. He plummeted into the depths of the pool. He came up sputtering and soaked and angry, crawled out of the pool, and he turned to the crowd and he said, one of you is an unbeliever. <laughs> is Jesus risen? Aren't you glad it doesn't depend on whether we believe it's true or not to make it happen? I mean, Jesus' disciples didn't believe he was raised that first day. <laughs> they really blew it if it was depending on them to believe to have Jesus rise from the dead. But no, it absolutely does not depend on God, on, on people, but it's a work of God. It's not, it doesn't depend on our wishes or our dreams or our willpower. Jesus is alive because he's God. And all people who believe that he died for their sins and rose again and has ascended to heaven as Lord and Savior, the risen Lord who conquered death and evil and who's coming back to set up an eternal kingdom. Every one of you, anyone in all the world who believes that, has a glorious and certain future. So every... Every one of us, if we believe that today, has a great reason for joy. And I'd like to look a great reason to celebrate, a great reason to live life differently and, and to be more like Christ because of what he's done for us. We have a lot of reasons to have joy today. From our passage from the book of Romans today, I'd like to just look at three reasons. Three reasons to be joyful today. Number one reason for joy today on this Easter Sunday, because God's salvation is unstoppable. It is unstoppable. It will not fail. In verses 28 through 30 that uh, Sheila read, we know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for the, those who are called according to his purpose. You know, these verses introduce us to a very what do I want to say, difficult or tricky doctrine? God's sovereign rule, predestination, election, subjects we need to wrestle with, but, and there's different views about that. God's sovereign will, our free, free will, how do those mesh together? We can't fully understand it. But today, I want to focus on the truths that are clear here. First of all, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Who are God's people? Are you one of God's people? How do you know if you're one of God's people? God's people love God, and they love his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have heard God's voice 
read his word, heard his word. They've listened to what Jesus taught about sin, about believing in him, about his death for their sin and resurrection, about obeying him and loving him. Those who follow him by his grace and power, they're assured that all things, all things are working together for good. Now, that doesn't mean all things in our lives are going to be good. As a matter of fact, they might be difficult and hard and uncomfortable, painful, emotionally draining, depressing. But God's grace, it says here, it's a promise from God that those who love God, his grace can take all these difficulties and use them to move, move us toward his ultimate goal. Do you know what God's ultimate goal is for your life? The answer is in verse 29. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined, he planned to be conformed to what? To the image of his son. So God's plan for his people is that we would be conformed or become more like Jesus Christ. That's his goal for you. That's where he's taking you. Eternal life is a gift. And then when you believe in Christ, you are now begin a journey that's taking you to become more to become, excuse me, like Christ, to mature in that process. This likeness to Jesus, it isn't an outward look-alike. It's an inward character development. You ever wonder what our glorified bodies are going to be like? It's kind of fun to think about, isn't it? I mean, Jesus is an example of that. Uh, I think I might have mentioned that even last week. I mean, he ate with the disciples after his resurrection. He walked through locked doors. He just appeared here and there. So, like, I don't know. Are we going to be able to zoom? Yeah, are we going to be able to? How do you play hide and seek? I don't know, in heaven. You know, it's going to be really interesting. Do we get to zoom around the universe? I don't know. We can speculate. But here's what we do know. It's going to be grand and glorious because our new resurrected bodies are going to be fit for all eternity to work, to worship, to create, to play, all together with God in perfect peace and prosperity. That's was the original plan that we lost when we turned away from our God. And he came to rescue us, to take us back there. Our glorious bodies are going to be grand. And I don't know about you, but at this point in my life, I think I could use an upgrade. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. But God is not so concerned about outward beauty. I mean, listen to what Isaiah said about Jesus. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom people or men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. He had no, no beauty or ranking among people that we would be drawn to him. So what makes Jesus beautiful and glorious? Because he obeyed God the Father's will perfectly. The always existing and powerful Lord came humbly and took on a human body so he could live with us, so he could teach us, so he could deliver us from sin's power by dying in our place. 
So when we place our trust in him as God and Savior, then God's plans for us to make us holy and godly people, to look more like Christ, that's where he's taking us, and he will not fail to do it. Just one more quick look. Look at verse 30. Said just earlier in verse 29 that those God he foreknew, he predestined. And then in verse 30, there's these five links that link eternity past with eternity future. And those God foreknew, these same ones he predestined, the one, the people that God foreknew and predestined, these same ones he called, he called by name, we could say, the ones God foreknew and predestined and called, these same ones God justified. In other words, he declared that those who believe in Christ, they are righteous, even though we know that we don't live perfectly now. God sees us when we have faith in Christ, taking on his righteousness given to us as a gift, that we're guilt-free. And then it says, and those God that he foreknew, these same people God glorified. So just remember this. Heaven isn't just where we're going to be. Heaven is what we are going to be. Where and what. We're going to be with God and we're going to be holy like Christ by God's transforming power through Christ by the Spirit who makes us new creatures. And this is all a gift of God. It's amazing to think about it. One other quick note. Notice the tense grammar. It's all in past tense. I'm not glorified yet. But when God says it's done, it's as good as done. It's like it's done, guaranteed for sure. It's so certain. That's why Paul wrote, <coughs> excuse me, in Philippians, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. When Jesus returns in glory, we're going to be raised to glory. It's going to be amazing. Why should I have joy today? Because God's salvation is unstoppable. But we're, and salvation's a work of God. But as moral created beings, you and I have to respond to God's message, God's truth about Jesus. Jesus said, come to me. I love what, what Dane Ortland says. We do not come to a set of doctrines. We don't come to a church. We don't even come to the gospel, although those are vital. All these are important, but most truly we come to a person. We come to Jesus Christ himself. If you say no to Jesus, his forgiving mercy in this life, then I tell you this, it's not my opinion, it's what God says, your creator, then your future is not glorious. It's a life that will be trapped in sin's misery without hope of any change or redemption or rescue 
for forever. It's being apart from God's grace. And we do not know what it's like to be apart from God's grace in this world, although there are times when we think there is hell on earth, and I guess it's a taste of hell. But never being able to be changed. So without faith in Christ, we receive the results of what we've chosen. We can either choose the God of heaven and his truth or the lesser gods and the temporary gods, small g, of this world. So look at the gains we have here that Paul lists for us, the things that are promised, the things that are guaranteed. Reason number one, God's salvation is unstoppable. Reason number two for joy today, Jesus stands by his own. Jesus has finishes, finished work on the cross. We sung about it today. It saves us. And those who believe in Jesus Christ will be glorified. And to make his point about this, Paul asks three questions. What are we going to say in response to these, these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God keeps us. God loves us. He showed us. He did not spare his own son, the sinless one. The perfect one died in our place for those of us who aren't very sinless. We're not. We're, we're corrupt. <laughs> yeah, not very sinless. Yeah, we're a lot sinless, right? I love it when I say funny things. This God's plans for sons and daughters is so good. So if God is for us, who can be against us? If he saved us, if he redeemed us, if he died in our place, and he's inviting you to join that everlasting experience, what's going to get in the way if you trust in him? The answer, nothing. By the way, what is the gospel of Christ? Paul summed it up in his letter to the Corinthians, for I delivered to you first of importance what I received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. It was predicted hundreds of years, thousands of years before it happened. That he was buried, he was really alive, and he really died. And he was raised to life on the third day. And he appeared to Cephas or to Peter and then to the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters, proving that he was truly alive. That's the gospel in a quick summary. Now a decision has to be made. In verse 17 of that chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul goes on to say, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished in an and if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by one man death came, so by one man also the resurrection. For as, Adam all, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So what do you say this morning? Is Jesus alive? Yes or no? And the answer has unending consequences. Glorious or not so glorious. 
What's amazing, Paul goes on to talk about Christ in this passage, his ongoing work. His past work has saved us. He's made payment for our sins. He's been raised to life. But God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is not sitting up in heaven, twiddling his thumbs, waiting for the moment when he's supposed to come back. He's busy interceding for us. Think about that. Jesus himself is representing you before God the Father. So when we stumble and sin and when, when we're crying out and, 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 and asking for his mercy, he represents and says, yes, Father, answer that prayer. Yes, Father, forgive him because I have died for him. My wounds plead for all our failures when we believe in Christ. It is a gift. Paul asks a second question. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Jesus is in heaven representing you if you're a believer in Christ today. You should be very excited about that. We should be joyful. I have a representative, the perfect one, the righteous one, is standing before the Father and says, no problem. He, she is covered because they have placed their trust in me. Oh, they're guilty. Satan's up there accusing the brothers and the sisters and saying, look at that. Look what Matt Meter did this week. Look what he thought. Look what he said. Think about all you thought and said and did this week that was unholy, and yet if you are in Christ, it's as though you are guiltless, all because he paid the debt. It's amazing. We cannot understand it, but he is standing before the Father. His wounds plead for us and cover us. John wrote about that, the Apostle John. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. You see, we have power not to sin because we have new life in Christ. But in these weak bodies, we will sin again. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation, the one who satisfied, made payment and satisfied, for our, made satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Where is Jesus right now? right hand of God. That's a seat of power and authority and universal sovereign rule, equal with the Father. And he's the one who is willing to represent you for all eternity and give you eternal life. That's Amazing. Guilty as we are, we have a Savior who is standing by us. If you believe in Christ, if you've made that decision, then you have a certain glorious future. God's plan for us is unstoppable. Jesus stands by those who trust in him forever. That gives us joy. Third reason for joy this morning Jesus invites you to have eternal life, each one of us. Paul asks a third question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Answer, no one, <laughs> nothing. 
Tribulation can't do it. Distress can't do it. Persecution can't do it. Famine can't do it. Nakedness, that means we're destitute. No danger, no sword. No, in all these things, we are what? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We sang John 3.16 today. Maybe you're familiar with that verse. This is what we need to believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. We don't need to perish. We don't need to be separated from God. We can have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. He will come and judge it. But he didn't come the first time to condemn it. He came to save us. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the one and only, the Son of God. That's what we need to believe. And I love Jesus' promise. Again, John records it in his Gospel, chapter 5. Truly, truly, Jesus said, in other words, pay attention. Truly, truly, this is the truth, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. I ask you this question this morning. Have you heard that voice? Have you heard Jesus' voice? Have you believed? And if you have, then you have life everlasting, and you can smile, and you can revel in that. And if you are hearing his voice this morning, and you ignore that voice, I would encourage you and, and admonish you, don't resist. Answer it. I have one more question for you today, a lot of questions. <laughs> At a tomb, not Jesus' tomb, but the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus asked Martha, the dead man, a question. Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Martha said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. If Martha's answer is your answer this morning, then you have eternal life. You have every reason to rejoice today. You have a future that will not change. You have every reason to be steadfast even when life is shaky and uncertain. You have every reason to follow Jesus and to grow because you know your future is secure. If you're a believer in Christ today, then you have every reason to be kind to others who are not going to be kind to you this time tomorrow because you have eternal life. This time tomorrow, you have every reason to stand up for those who others are looking down on or mistreating or being unfair with because you know what it's like to need help. And Jesus helped you and saved you 
so you have every reason to seek justice and good for others. Because Jesus is alive and your Savior, you have every reason this time tomorrow to grow a reputation that looks more and more like your God and Savior because you are loved and your future is secure, it is certain, and it is glorious. You have nothing to lose. And if your answer is not like Martha's, is it a no? I would just ask you, what's keeping you from a certain and glorious future? Do not put off believing in Christ the risen Savior. Reasons for joy. Do you need more information about Christ? We have a communication card. Today it's green for life. <laughs> Fill it out. Drop it in one of the baskets at the doors. We would love to get in touch with you if you need more information about what it means to follow him, to believe in him. You can email the church on the, on the church bulletin, the program. Email the church. We'll set up an appointment and talk with you. You can email us or talk with a friend that you know loves Christ, is already a follower, but don't delay. Do it soon. Believe and walk with your God now and forever because Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are the risen Savior. You alone can rescue us from evil. You promise to come and deliver us from evil. We look forward to that day. Begin to do your work in us. Your love is boundless. Your love is so evident. Open our eyes to see it, to believe it, and to follow your amazing love. Lord, we ask that every heart here today would be rejoicing because of the hope that you've given them. Work a great work and save for your glory alone, our Lord and Savior, our risen King. Amen.